0: welcome to our Sunday school lesson for Graceway Baptist Church. It's March 21st, 2021, and so we're into spring and spring break and all of those kind of things have taken place, and looking forward to things, you know, coming out after a long, cold winter and uh, growing, and also looking forward to uh, you as you think about your spiritual life as you begin to Blossom and grow Uh, we all have seasons in our own lives as well And those times when we seem to be maybe a little bit dormant those are times of great growth actually and times when we're getting ready to be productive and my prayer is that as a church and for you individually and for your family that you're getting ready to enter into a very productive time in the Lord Now, we've been going through this New City Catechism, and uh, as we think about the question and answer, it's going to ask a question about the Ten Commandments and then give a long answer. So I don't know about you, but memorizing this is going to be tough. What does God require in the Sixth, Seventh, and Eighth Commandments? Okay, now here's the answer. Sixth, that we do not hurt or hate, or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Okay? That's just one commandment. Seventh, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, and whatever might lead to them. And that part is very important, too. Whatever might lead to them. And eighth, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good um, from, uh, we might, from whom might benefit. And um, I want you to think about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And Paul in Romans chapter 13 verse 9 says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and you shall not steal, and you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's why Jesus gave us the greatest commandment to love God with everything we have in the second, he said, like it is loving your neighbor as yourself. And we've been emphasizing how the two of these things go together. You cannot say you love God if you don't love people. And at the same time, if you don't love people, it really does reflect on your love for God. And um, these things coming together in our lives, in in the lives of Christians. This is for our testimony. This is um, how we represent God. We are, after all, ambassadors for Christ. And you think about an ambassador. An ambassador lives in a foreign country, but he represents his home country. And back in the days that the Bible was written, when they did not have instant communication, the ambassador for a king giving an example, would be speaking literally for the king. And so if you had somebody back in the 1700s that was an ambassador for the king of England, say, to Spain, as far as Spain was concerned, whatever the ambassador said, that's what the king of England had to say. And so we need to take that more seriously because the world doesn't read our Bible. The world is not really all that interested in our doctrinal statements, but they do watch us and they do listen to us and they do it very, very carefully, don't they? And um, I think that sometimes we forget that the attitudes we have and the actions that we have, the uh, positions that we take, the morals that we have, the ethics that we live by. Through all of that, the world gets an idea about God. They used to say, you're the only Bible some people will ever read. You're the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And there's a lot of truth in that. And so the Bible speaks about morals and ethics and a holy lifestyle to God's people, because we have a tendency to drift from what we know is right. We have a tendency to say, well, I know what I should do, but, and then we don't do it, or we have a tendency to say, I know I shouldn't do this, but, and we go ahead and do it or say it or whatever, and we're all guilty of that, and so reading the Bible and um, studying the word and thinking about the word, meditating on the word, that is something that calls us to live a holy life and be a good representative for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about these. Um, Some people would say, well, at least I don't have to worry about thou shalt not kill, I'm not a murderer. Well, point number one is going to be murder, it's a heart problem. And when we go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26, and this is our Lord Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to those of old, refer- referring to the people of Israel and the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Well, I would say so. I would hope so. If it were someone that murdered someone that I loved, I want them to face the judgment. You do too. Now here's where Jesus comes in and he gives us his authority. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, did you notice it's the same phrase? He said, if someone murders, they're liable to judgment. And then he uses that same phrase, when he says uh, the idea of somebody being angry with their brother is liable to judgment. Now he goes on, it doesn't stop there. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there at the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So without going into a whole lot of detail, and as you study that, you might want to look at those different terms and where they come from. But for our purposes, think about this. Jesus is telling us that thou shalt not kill or you shall not murder is really more than the action of actually taking someone's life. Jesus is actually dealing with the motive that would cause someone to take another person's life. And of course, he's talking here, not about an accidental situation or something, but premeditated. Uh, You would have to have a lot of hatred and a lot of resentment in your heart to actually start planning to murder somebody And to work that out and to carry it out, that that is a a horrible thing to think of. And so Jesus is saying, let's stop it by stopping the desire. Let's understand where that comes from. And Jesus, in this commandment, is warning us against the internal things that come up. What about like an angry spirit? Do you have an angry spirit? Do you fly off of the... um, Well, I mean, you know, just get to the point to where everything ticks you off. Let's put it like that. To where you're looking for something to be upset about and uh, you can hardly control. Maybe the um, outside is under control, but on the inside you are filled with uh, rage and anger, that type of thing. What about an insulting spirit? He talked about that. And that's the kind of thing to where you don't actually honor someone else. You don't actually think well of them. You don't give them the benefit of the doubt, but you consider them to be inferior to you. You consider them to be uh, a worthless part of society, and you really don't see them as being made in the image of God. And other people might have a divisive spirit where all they do is they think about ways to... um, Oh, isolate other people, push other people away, not include other people, and uh, certainly not to love them as uh, we are commanded to in the word of God. And so Jesus is saying to you and to me, if you can control your spirit, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it says that someone who can control their spirit is like a mighty man who can conquer a city. But if you can't control your spirit, if you're completely out of control or you don't exercise the control that you have, then that's a a very foolish thing to do. And that leads you to places you don't wanna go, to do things you never thought you would do and to be accountable to God for that and to ruin your testimony over those kind of things is really what is um, in line here. And so that first thing, the commandment, you shall not kill, Jesus takes it from the action of premeditated murder into the wicked desires of our heart. And he's telling us that we need to, to to quote Solomon again, guard our heart, for out of it come the issues of life. And so uh, what would people say about you If they could see your heart, would they even call you a Christian? Would they even suspect that you are an ambassador for Christ, that you are a saved person, if they could really see what's in your heart? And think about this, those things we cover up, those things that we cherish, those things that we treasure, those things that we uh, hold on to and hide from other people, God sees all of those, and Jesus died for those. And those are things that are supposed to be put to death. It all starts in the heart. Secondly, when we look at the next commandment, we talk about adultery and understand that it's a will of God issue. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. You know, people always say, I just want to know the will of God. If you'll go through the Bible and look up the phrase, the will of God, and look at every verse that mentions that, you'll find out how you're supposed to live. And here's what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles or lost people, we might say, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You know, that's a little bit ominous in our day. And I know that in the days of the Apostle Paul, there was a lot of immorality. Rome and Greece in particular, and those cultures, were known for their immoralities. It was common for a man to have a wife, and that wife was for the purpose simply of just bearing him children that would carry on his name and carry on his title if he were of the nobility. But the man also would have mistresses and uh, these would be for his own pleasure. And uh, sometimes it would include uh, homosexual activities. Sometimes it would include having sexual relations with children, all kinds of just horrible things that uh, we cringe at, right? Well, we live in a day, too, where maybe we don't do exactly the same things, but in uh, maybe spirit we do. You think about some of the movies that people watch. You think about people that are involved in pornography on their computers. You think about people that have affairs or sex before marriage. In fact, if you uh, watch very much TV, you'll notice as people get into a relationship, they don't get married until long after they have been involved sexually and maybe not until uh, the woman becomes pregnant and then they feel like they need to get married to raise the child. Sometimes. Some people don't even think that that's necessary. And so we live in a sexually charged generation it's everywhere you go and everywhere you look so the apostle paul and the thessalonians probably would say to us this is for your generation just like it was for ours and people don't think it's any big deal and people think that abstaining from sex until marriage is you know puritanical and somehow repressive and old-fashioned and all of that But think about all of the things that it protects you from. Think about all of the things that it does for a child. Because when you are uh, messing around sexually, you know what happens. There's always the possibility of a pregnancy coming out of that. And then that involves another child, another life, excuse me, because life begins at conception. And we think about what we're doing to our children and uh, we think about how We are setting such a bad example, and we think about how hard everything becomes. For example, if a man and a woman uh, get married, and then they have their children, uh, the whole idea of marriage is they're going to be together, and they're going to be raising that child. But if a child is the product of an affair, that's not the child's fault, Uh, Somebody said one time there are no illegitimate children, just illegitimate parents. And uh, if this happens, then what's going to be the result? Well, it may be the commandment we just talked about, where the baby is killed through abortion. Or it may be the kind of thing to where the child is raised never knowing who his real father is and always wondering about that. It could be that... um, The whole family is disrupted, and the uh, father, when he is discovered to be the uh, father of the illegitimate relationship, that it destroys his legitimate relationship. All kinds of things come out of all of this. In fact, they've done studies and of people that are in prison. There are a vast majority of them who did not know or have a relationship with their father and that certainly leads a child then to violate another commandment honor your father and your mother well there's not much chance of that happening in these kind of situations Um, i think about sexual sin and the will of god and the will of god paul says in this always leads to holiness it always leads to purity, in other words, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification, being set apart, being different, being holy, and living for the glory of God. And sexual sin and God's will are incompatible. If you are living in sexual sin, and then you are saying, I want to follow the will of God, that, according to what we just read, is an abject impossibility. God wants us to be pure in everything that we do. Sexual sin stops growth and blessing and worship. I don't know of anything that will take away your passion for God and your passion for worship and your joy in worshiping God and nothing else that will cool down your emotions toward the Lord than sexual sin. And it makes you think and act like a lost person. In passion of lust, Paul said, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And saved people who start acting like lost people, that is um, such a tragedy. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? And when you think about what it does to your testimony, and not just your testimony before a lost and dying world, But what does it do to your testimony toward your children when they find out? It's a devastating thing for a child, even an adult child, to find out about the immoralities of their mother or their father. And it always seems to come out. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. And Paul also says that it's bad because it robs others. You notice what he said in there? You're defrauding a brother. Well, it robs the one you cheat with, for one thing, and it robs their family, and it robs your family, and it also robs other believers that you should be serving and that you should be discipling. Whenever you hear stories about somebody who has a great impact, maybe it's a, maybe it's a pastor Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a deacon in the church or something like that. And they had great impact. And now all of a sudden you hear that they are living an immoral life. You uh, can't help but feel somewhat cheated. You can't help but feel the stinging, burning sense that someone lied to you, that they were a hypocrite in what they were doing. It makes you question everything they do. It makes you question even their own salvation, doesn't it? And so it robs. And then it says that God is the avenger of such. God does not overlook sexual sin. God does not just say, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's natural. Oh, you couldn't help it. Oh, you just fell into it. The Bible tells us we're never tempted above what we're able to bear. And with it, God provides a way of escape. And that is particularly true when we're talking about sexual sin, whether it's in the mind. Jesus said, just like the last commandment, that if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Paul tells us here that God is the avenger of such. Keep your mind pure, keep your heart pure, and uh, don't get involved in anything or with anyone who is going to lead you in that direction. And thirdly, when we think about stealing, understand that it is a selfishness issue. Why do people steal? Because they think they're entitled to what someone else has. They want it, and they don't want you to have it. And uh, the idea of that is um, reprehensible, isn't it? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now notice the contrast at the beginning. Thievery versus sharing. Stealing versus giving and generosity. That's what Paul is saying. We've got to quit being such a selfish person that is just a taker, especially if the taking is illegitimate. And we've got to get to the point to where we are a giver, where we are one who actually shares and we are to have something to share by working, doing honest labor with our own hands. So he says that stealing should be a thing of the past. Now, when we talk about stealing, we talk about thievery. We may think about somebody in a mask who breaks into a house and does something. Well, that certainly would be uh, included because stealing could be just outright theft. But it can be more than that. It's being paid for what you did not earn. Did you really work the hours that you're being paid for? Did you really do the job that you were hired to do? It can also be robbing God in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, we don't give to the Lord, and so we rob the Lord, and then we don't understand why we aren't being blessed. We're not uh, kind of clued into all of that when we've been a thief, a God-robbing thief. We also think about defrauding other people, leading them astray. Uh, getting the, I know of a person one time in a church that... Um, They were getting people to invest in an oil company, and it turned out to be a fraud. That's stealing from somebody else. And we could go on and on and on with that. But let's talk about what God's will is. It's for us, you and me, to be productive. We're made to work. And Paul uses the phrase when he talks about honest work. The kind of work you're not ashamed of. The kind of work you don't have to deceive anybody about. The kind of work that um, brings glory to Christ and brings good income to you. Honest work that we have. And it means that we're supposed to be personally productive. All through your life, you ought to be doing things that uh, bear fruit. You ought to be doing things that produce in your life this is what he's talking about and of course the goal is to honor god but also to provide for your needs and for your family in another place paul said that uh, if any man does not provide for his own he's an infidel and has denied the faith well we don't want that we want the way that we live and the way that we provide for our family even extended family paul says is going to be a reflection of our testimony. We also want to prepare for the future. The book of Proverbs is filled with exhortations that we are to work and we need to save some of our money spend some of our money wisely, and then we need to also give with it. Those are really the only three things that you can do with money, and we need to prepare for the future. But let's not leave out the idea that we are to be generous. We are to share with other people that you might have something to give, to give to the Lord's work, to give to somebody in need. All kinds of things could happen when we share So when we think about these Commandments, I want you to think about them in terms of this. Your heart needs to be right, doesn't it? That's what Jesus was speaking of when um, he talked about our relationship with, with others, that the Commandment is a whole lot more than just don't stick a knife in them or shoot them with a gun or something like that. Secondly, we need to be tied in to the will of God. And if we were more focused on the will of God, then all of these other things, sexual sin, would not be an option for us, and they wouldn't be something that would grab a hold of us and pull us in that direction because we are consumed with the will of God. We want to be walking in the will of God, living in the will of God, and under the blessing of the will of God. And then if we could control our selfishness, then we would always be looking for ways to bless other people. We wouldn't uh, curse our job if we work for a big corporation. We would want the corporation actually to succeed, because as it succeeds, it not only pays us, but it's able to hire more people. That would be a different way of looking at things, wouldn't it? We want to make sure that as we are working, that we take it uh, on ourselves, to make the business or our employer, to make them successful because we're working for the Lord and we want our lives to be productive. And we would also be looking for ways with the income that we have to be wise with it. As I said before, you can save some, you can spend some, and then you are to give some. And a lot of people just don't even think about all of that. They spend everything that they have without even thinking about it. And uh, they end up then with nothing. Or sometimes we find people that um, they never think about giving to someone else. This is my money and I'm going to keep it and no one else is going to get it. I had a man say to me one time, only one person can get in my wallet and that's me. Well, I wonder how the Lord thinks about that, because everything we have belongs to him. And this idea of working really does come back to saying, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I was able to get out of bed this morning. I thank you that I live in a place where I can have a job. I thank you, Father, for the wages that come my way. And I give them to you, and I want you to use them in any way that you choose. You see what we're saying? And so these commandments really do boil down to loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that's a hard place to get to for a lot of people. That's where God has to work on you, teach you, train you. And he has to sometimes discipline you to get you to understand that when you love yourself, what do you do for yourself? Well, about anything. If you're hungry, you'll do about anything for food. If you're thirsty, you'll do about anything to get something to drink. If you are tired, you will find a way to get rest. If you are hungry, you will find a way to eat. If you're cold, you'll find a way to get warm. If you're hot, you'll find a way to get cool. And on and on and on we could go. And when God calls us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, he's calling us to do a whole lot more than just I didn't murder anybody. Well, that doesn't mean you loved your neighbor, does it? Is my attitude right toward my neighbor? Well, I didn't commit any sexual sin with my neighbor. Yeah, but was my attitude right toward my neighbor? And am I thinking right about other people? And then when we think about stealing, I didn't steal from them, yes, but did I find a way to give to them? Am I looking for ways to invest my time, invest my money, invest my possessions in someone else? Because through all of that, we become ambassadors for Christ. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So these commandments are a whole lot more than what you're not supposed to do, but the New Testament reflects on what they call us to do, and they call us to do this for the good of our neighbor, for our well-being, because it blesses us, and for the glory of the God that they need so desperately to know. So as you think about that, there were a few questions that are down here that you are... uh, Welcome to think about and meditate upon. And so, teachers, for those of you who are listening to this, I hope this helps you understand a little bit more about what I mean and where I'm going with this, but more importantly, what the Bible says about it. And if you're watching this because you missed Sunday school, we look forward to having you back, and uh, thank you for taking the time to watch this so that you can keep up with what your church is doing. And may the Lord bless you and bless you richly. Thank you so much for your time.